everybody. Welcome to Pillow Talk with Dr. Boyce and Dr. Alicia Watkins. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins, and I'm here with my lovely wife, Dr. Alicia. So good to see everybody. I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, as you come in, please hit that thumbs up button, thumbs up, share, subscribe. Also, just a reminder, this podcast is on Spotify. So if you look up my name, Boyce Watkins on Spotify, you can find the Dr. Boyce Breakdown. We put all of our episodes on Spotify. And our goal on Pillow Talk is uh, to get together. We're both professors. My wife is a professor of social work, and uh, I am a professor of finance, and we like to get together and talk about topics that relate to uh, intelligence stuff kind of happening in the black community, uh, things that we think the community might want to discuss and kind of understand. So uh, first off, I want to ask my wonderful wife, uh, how you doing today, babe? I'm doing all right. It is a Monday night and it feels like a Sunday night. I don't know why. This doesn't feel like a work day, but... Yeah, That's yeah. Well, <laughs> well, it's the new year and happy new year to everybody. You know, happy um, new year. How I, are you doing? I, I, I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. Uh, you know, I'm super excited. We've been doing uh, a 30 day financial consciousness training uh, that people can take a look at at drboyceelevate.com. If you'd like to join us, we're only on day three. We're going to do 30 straight days of financial lessons every morning and go through a workbook. I put together a workbook called 30 Days to Wealth and Power. It takes 30 days to form a new habit. And so we're spending each day, we're filling out something in this uh, financial reflective journal to understand uh, your money mindset, things like that. And in fact, you should come in one day because we're doing a lot of financial psychology. Like tomorrow, our big reflection is how uh, what money was like for you growing up as a child and how that might impact your view of money today. Wait, and where did you get that, that my, question from? You, yeah, you I know my therapist. Question. Well, you know, I've been taking notes, baby. <laughs> I've been taking notes. When, when my wife talks, I listen. Give me a yes if you understand the value of listening to smart black women, how that will make your life better. Give me a yes in the chat if you agree. Uh, so I want to say hello to Dr. Vibe in uh, El Haj and Khalid. Uh, I see you. Uh, Mike G is asking, can I still... Uh, Join the class with a discount by getting a copy of the book. Sure. If you go to drboycebooks.com, if you get a copy of the book, I'll, I told them to send out another link where you can join us. Now, those who buy a copy of the book can join the live sessions. If you want to get all the archive sessions and everything that's there and have it for life, uh, you can go to drboyceelevate.com. So there's two ways to kind of get into the class and hundreds of you are enrolled. And uh, and I'm hoping you're getting tremendous value from it because uh, we do a really, uh, we work really hard in the black business school to uh, elevate our people. That's, that's our top priority. Now, let me let's let's jump into our conversation for today. This is a this is a biggie, you know. Uh, you th this thing with Claudine Gay. Uh, give me a yes in the chat, everybody. First of all, give me a yes if you can hear me. Let me know you can hear me, okay. And then number two, uh, let me know if you heard about the situation with uh, the black Harvard president Claudine Gay, who just resigned over uh, some allegations involving plagiarism, and uh, and there's a whole lot more to it. Uh, it goes a whole lot deeper than just. Uh, the, the the allegation uh, it, it really goes to uh, a racism problem that uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that I think Harvard has I think academia has it also as well and I'm going to kind of break some of that down and I'd like to ask my wife so did you hear about what happened with Dr. Gay and her being or her she resigned but I don't think it was something that she wanted to do I feel like she was kind of pressured to do it uh, did you hear about this what do you think babe yeah, of course I heard about this. And, um, and I was just in the mood to follow her career to see where it goes. And this is very short lived. So she's resigned as um, president of the university, but she is taking a post as an instructor. So I guess she's just going back to being a, fac a regular faculty member. But I think it's really interesting that, that not only that they force her to resign, but they were accusing her of plagiarism 
and um, for her PhD, I think. And so now they're trying to like ruin her name. It's not even enough for her to just resign. The thing is that she goes down as this incompetent black woman who's scary and doesn't need to be in administration, which is an all too familiar thing <laughs> among black people in academia. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you and I were kind of triggered by this because we've seen this happen. Yeah. Like, right. Like we, we know how academia works. We know that um, academia is a funny place because everybody's smart. You know, in, in the PhD programs, everybody's a genius. Everybody made straight A's. And so so a lot of people think it's all about just how hard you work and how smart you are. No, I, I've seen absolute geniuses. I'm talking about the baddest scholars around get kicked out of their PhD program, not even not even graduate because they they upset the wrong person. You know, and, and a lot of people that didn't go through like tough PhD programs, like with a lot of academic rigor and stuff like that, they may not understand this. They say, well, if you do your job and you're good, like what can what can go wrong? And it, it's just not like that. Right. Nobody the politics can be really ugly. Nobody owes you a Ph.D. There's no program on the face of this earth that owes you a Ph.D. You have to overwhelmingly uh, um, convince a, a committee of people that you put together <laughs> and you have to convince them that you're worthy of a PhD and they really guard the academy. No one, the, the thing is about working at universities, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, you have your holiday, you have a whole month off. I have a whole, basically four weeks off in December and January, you have your summers off and you still get a full salary. I mean, so in a sense, it is a beautiful job to have. You get very good health insurance, very good benefits. And if you can, navigate the political arena of academia, it's actually a pretty comfortable place to be and a place where you are paid to write, to teach, to read, to do all the fun things that um, theoretically you want to do, but it's the politics of it. And this today, this issue today that we're talking about is poor Dr. Gay is seeing how political it is to be um, in administration in higher education. Yeah. Well, okay, so so let let's give the frame the framing so people can understand this. Now, did you all hear about this story? Let let us know how much you know about this. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a little bit from this article in the Washington Post about what happened to uh, to Dr. Claudine Gay. Dr. Dr. Gay uh, was uh, the first black president at Harvard University. She just resigned. And it says here in uh, the Washington Post. Uh, they they basically said, uh, let's see, Harvard President Claudine Gay resigned Tuesday after weeks of criticism of her scholarship and leadership on campus, saying it would help the university move forward with a focus on the institution rather than any individual. She was the second Ivy League president to resign in the wake of a congressional hearing last month on campus anti-Semitism. A sign to some of the power that politicians and donors can wield, Gay was also confronted with dozens of allegations of plagiarism from her academic work. University leaders said last month she did not engage in research misconduct. Uh, so apparently they did a university investigation. They found that she was clean. Uh, some question whether Gay, who in July became Harvard's first black president, was being held to a different standard because of her race. Uh, I, I, well, let, let's just stop there. Let's stop there. So uh, they're asking a question. I want you all to give me a yes or no. What do you all think? I mean, we're going we're gonna to go to the panel of intelligent black people. Um, I, I can't find my... My, my 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 gavel, but whenever we call a meeting of intelligent black people, I, I pound my gavel and I can't find it. But but I want to ask y'all, do y'all think, huh? What do y'all think? Do y'all think that working at a historically racist 
(laughs) incredibly white institution uh, means that her race played some part in the way she was evaluated. What do y'all think? Or or do you think that America is, uh, what was that term they used to use? What, (laughs) post-racial? After Obama got elected, they started using that that ridiculous term, post-racial. What do y'all think? Give us a yes or no. Do you think that race might have had something to do with it? Or or do you think that race just didn't matter? What do y'all think? So so what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep reading the article here. So we can know about uh, Dr. Gay and uh, get the context. Then, babe, I want I want to get your take on what I've just read here. It says here in the Washington Post that the fallout intensified national debates over freedom of speech, diversity in schools, and who should shape education in this country. In a letter to the Harvard community, Gay called it a singular honor to be a member of the university, my home, and my inspiration, and my most professional for most of my professional career. My deep sense of connection to Harvard and its people has made it all the more painful to witness the tensions and divisions that have riven our community in recent months, et cetera, et cetera. Her resignation. Was was first reported by the Harvard Crimson. She will return to the faculty. Harvard's pro- provost and chief academic officer, Alan M. Garber, and who I'm sure is white enough for the job, an economist and physician will also will serve as the interim president. And oh, and by the way, I'm sure uh, Professor Garber has been questioned on his views on that conflict in the Middle East. What do you think? What do y'all think? Do you think that you think he's gonna um you, you think he's gonna be sympathetic to the Israeli uh, cause? <laughs> what, what do you think, babe? What what do you think is really happening here with uh, all this pressure that was put on Claudine Gay? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that there was tremendous pressure for Dr. Gay to um, suspend any students who were protesting on campus against what was happening in um, in the Gaza Strip. And she took the stance where she says, listen, as long as nobody is harmed, I can't um, silence free speech. Like, people should be able to, on a, a campus of higher learning, where all diverse thoughts are valued and important theoretically, you know, we should not, we should allow all students to be able to discuss and have um, intelligent conversations about a variety of different topics. And that should be allowed. And that was her position in that tribunal. And I mean, clearly um, the donors of Harvard said, oh no, you are not to talk anything about anti-Semitism on campus. You are not to say anything negative about anybody Jewish on that campus. And um, the powers that be got together and said, no, she is not um, She is not making a campus environment this safe for my children. And so therefore she has to go. Mm. Well, yeah. uh, by, by the way, you're watching Pillow Talk with Dr. Boyce and Dr. Alicia Watkins. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. This is my wife, Dr. Alicia Watkins. Uh, Dr. Alicia is a licensed therapist and a full professor of social work, and I'm a finance professor. If you'd like to learn more about what Dr. Alicia does, uh, she helped me to create the uh, Black Financial Therapy Department in the Black Business School, where we uh, work with great therapists to explore the psychological barriers to building black wealth. And uh, so if you'd like to learn more about what Dr. Alicia does, she sees clients on an individual and collective basis. Go to coachingwithdralicia.com. Uh, that's coachingwithdralicia.com. Hit that thumbs up button. Thumbs up, share, subscribe. Uh, yeah, I, I think that what's really happening here, if you really look at the writing on the wall, it comes down to this idea that, and I, and I think it's going to backfire on, on the Zionists. I really do. Uh, th- this idea that says, if you criticize what we're doing, on any level, we're going to call you anti-Semitic. You know, it's it's almost like those black. Anybody seen ever, ever seen a black person who calls everything racist? Like anytime they do something and somebody calls them on their BS, they racist. Y'all racist. They racist. And then eventually people stop listening because you're you're overplaying your hand. 
you know, you're crying wolf around every corner. And uh, and so there are people that have legitimate views on what's going on in the Middle East. They're, they're seeing, you know, the, the, for some for whatever reason, the media is 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 reporting on this. Maybe it's because the media has been democratized just a little bit. Uh, so you can't control the flow of information. And they're seeing they're kind of thinking to themselves logically, like, wait a minute. So, okay, so they they did kill 16, 1700 people in that first attack, which was absolutely horrible. I mean, just horrific, you know, very sad to watch. But then you look at the other side and you're like, wait a minute, 21,000 people or 20 between 20 and 21,000 people, mostly women and children dying on the other side. Mm-hmm. And who's paying for those missiles? Wait, we, we're paying for those missiles. We're, mm-hmm. we're paying for those weapons. I didn't sign up for that. And, and so there are students that are making that legitimate point and they're doing it in a way that's not they're, they're not invoking mm-hmm. violence. They're not going around beating people up and killing people. They're expressing their right to free speech. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Now, one thing I want to bring up, babe, and I'd like to get your take on this, though, is that Harvard is stuck in a little bit of a dilemma, right? So so when these presidents of these uh, major universities, they called up the presidents of uh, Harvard, MIT, and uh, and Penn, mm-hmm. all, who mm-hmm. all happen to be women, and, uh, and they all go to Capitol Hill because, I guess, because they you know, you upset Israel, they're going to have congressional hearings about you disagreeing with Israel. So they're all protesting in front of uh, in front of Congress. And and what they find is that these individuals sort of become these champions of free speech. Right. Like, you know, free, you know, we believe in free speech and expression. And they get into this back and forth about whether or not uh, certain language that may call for a genocide or anything like that. Uh, would be automatically condemned or automatically lead to disciplinary action. And it sounded to me, based on what I read, that they were kind of splitting the line and saying that what, saying something is very different from doing something, right? That words are different from actions, which which is a real slippery slope, right? Because, you know, you use the right words, you can hurt a lot of people with the right words. Um, and so they were kind of saying, like, no, 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 you should have just blanketly condemned it made it 100% abundantly clear that you would punish these students if they say blah, 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 X, Y, Z. And and which, which they actually did. I think when the backlash happened, they all turned around and they're like, no, 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 no. We condemn it, right? If you leave, read their statements later, they were all like, no, no, we condemn any call for any kind of genocide or whatever. But by then it was too late. But, uh, but when I saw this, what I really saw was just this situation where Harvard, a university that does not have a good reputation when it comes to free speech, they had a ranking uh, in some national publication where literally Harvard was ranked last in the country when it comes to free speech. Like they were yeah. ranked l- the, the lowest on the whole scale for free speech. So suddenly, though, you want to be a champion of free speech. I think that comes off as incredibly biased and arbitrary. So they kind of back themselves into that hole a little bit. What do you think? Yeah. You know, I remember when I was teaching at Florida State, um, we were, you know, they give you orientation and free speech is only allowed in certain parts of campus. So you are only allowed to say how you really feel in certain spaces on campus. Other places on campus that's not designated for free speech, you really need to keep your mouth shut about things. And I think Harvard also had that same policy. So I think that was the issue. It was like, okay, if you want to say what's on your mind, you can only say what's on your mind in these predestined carved out spaces. And if you express yourself in a controversial topic outside of those spaces, then you need to be reprimanded. And I think that was the big thing about 
um, what's now happening on university campuses. It's supposed to be a place where, you remember back in the 70s when we were protesting the war? This is my parents. My parents were in college in the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s. They were protesting the war and they were doing all those things all over campus. Um, but no, not anymore. So a lot of that stuff has gone away. I don't know if a lot of people understand what that means, that free speech is not everywhere on campus, only certain spaces. And what's fascinating too is you alluded to it when you were reading the article is the money, the Mm -hmm. money, because Mm -hmm. Harvard University's donors, they're big Jewish donors. Can I even say that? It's a level of persecution to the point where you're literally afraid to say say the word Jewish. You're afraid to say the word Israel. You're afraid to say the word Zionist because the intimidation, the intimidation is unbelievable. And, And I think they have to be very careful about doing this to people because the world will turn against you when you are an oppressor the world will turn against oppressive energy, no matter who it's coming from. And so, yeah, you're right. And it's kind of crazy. The algorithm will pick, to say the word, but go ahead, please. Yeah, the algorithm will pick up what we talk about. But there's a guy, um, I was talking to my mom, and she told me there's a guy named Lim Blackvonik. That's his name. He's a Jewish donor. He's, he's um, totally against this uh, Dr. Gay as president. And he has donated $270 million. Mm. some billionaire we never even heard of him where is he on the forbes list (laughs) he is nowhere to be Mm -hmm. seen right 270 million dollars and he gives two 25 million dollars 25 million dollars he donates every year so you better believe that man can make a phone call and say um she's out of here she i see i'm i'm pretty certain he paid close attention (laughs) to those to her um, congressional hearing, all the things that she said, and it was, she did not get on the approval list. And so she's out of here. And I think also part of it, when I was talking to my mom, she said they were just afraid because they were getting death threats. They were threatening their families. Like it was getting to a point where it was starting to get really personal. And I know as a mother and as a wife, I wouldn't want to jeopardize my family. So maybe she's like, forget it. I'll just step down. Well, you know what? Um, one of the big money, you know, and we talk about money all the time on this channel, and I've explained to everyone consistently how money is power. And the the big kahuna that's kind of behind all of this pressure is a guy named Bill Ackerman. Mm. And uh, he's a multi-billionaire. He's got a ton of money. He's been very aggressive on this issue. And he's he's been very blatant and clear about using his economic power to pressure Harvard uh, Penn and MIT uh, to basically do what they, whatever the hell that he wants them to do. And it's interesting to me because I'm trying to, I, I really would like to understand why Harvard, MIT, and and um, and Penn were, were sort of in the middle of this mess, but I didn't hear anything about University of Chicago. I didn't hear about Stanford. I didn't hear about, you know, some of these other amazing institutions, Columbia, you know, like, like so I'm really wondering what, what's the difference? Like what happened at Harvard that didn't happen at Columbia and UCLA and and some of these other major institutions. Stanford, why you know why isn't Stanford kind of on the shit list too? So so I'd be curious to understand that. And and some people believe that some of it might have to do with the fact that the presidents were women, that mm-hmm. that there was kind of a bullying in, in public yeah. of, of these <laughs> of these powerful women, you know, to sort of make an example out of them. And I, and I'm not going to doubt that. You know, I I, I kind of think that that might be 
a part of this. And and the thing about Ackerman is he's he's a conservative that doesn't seem to really care. I actually know of this guy because I, I pay attention to the people that make money move in this society. And I followed Ackerman's career for a long time. I don't dislike the guy. I do dislike this. But at the same time, I think that black people and y'all know I'm, I'm here for y'all. That, that's I, why I talk about things. I'm talking to y'all first. Um, black people have to pay attention to the to how money moves the agenda money is the motive money is the manipulator money money is the manager manager of every situation it's not about right or wrong right uh we could talk about professor gay being removed from her position and how unfair that is uh you're probably right how racist it is yeah you're probably right how sexist it might be you're probably right but it really comes down to them dollar bills right so 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 you mentioned the money and and, and ackerman is not the only billionaire donor who is using his economic power to pressure institutions to do what they want, uh, to label anything that comes off as a disagreement with Israel's anti-Semitism, and it's kind of it's kind and it's kind of it's kind of a sad experience though for scholars who somehow have been deluded into believing that we have some uh, level of free speech or free expression. I, I don't think that we actually do on many of these campuses. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely I definitely think it's you know of course I talked about how political it is, but what's interesting about um, these female presidents, the you the Penn president resigned, and of course the Harvard president resigned, but the MIT president is still there, and her last name is Dr. Cornbliss. She is Jewish, and she mm-hmm. did not resign. So I think like time will tell if she's really going to, uh, ooh, if she's going to side with her females. Is if if race is going to be an issue for her. Or is gender going to be an issue for her? Which side is she going to fall on? Because um, the M- M- the MIT president is Jewish and she still has her job. So I think it would be really fascinating to see in the days ahead whether she's going to also leave, um, <laughs> if she's going to leave along with her other two um, colleagues, or um, if she's going to kind of play the political <laughs> the political game. Which, you know, I'm not, I don't hate her for that. Like, I understand it's it's political, you know, whether you get, whether I, when I got tenure, I know there was some ish, some part of it was my ability, of course, you know, but I know some of it was political. I probably had a lot yeah. of people on my side that I didn't even know about that advocated for me. And when I got promoted to professor, mm-hmm. I didn't, no one gave that to me. You know, I know that I, on paper, I had everything that I needed above and beyond, twice as much as everybody else who went up for professor. But I'm certain there's some element of political um, nuance, you know, that went into play when it came to me being promoted. I just don't doubt that at all. Yeah. Well, let me say this. Uh, Bill Ackman, I said Ackerman. I meant to say Ackman. I apologize. Uh, he is now turning to MIT's president. Now, now that He's achieved. Oh. He's knocked down two out of the three pins. Uh, the MIT president, Cornbluff, uh, Sally Cornbluff, I think that's her name. Uh, he is going after her. And um, he's let's see here. It says here he's calling for all three of the presidents to resign. And I'm looking here and I'm reading this article. And uh, he just posted on X at to Sally, like um, like uh, oh. almost like you're a traitor, like you're a traitor to uh, your community. Uh, so he is a Harvard alum. He's a billionaire founder of Pershing Square Capital Management. He's called on the pre- he's he's called for these resignations. We mentioned that, and uh, he's claiming that they failed to denounce calls for violence against the Jewish population. Now, one of the things that's really interesting to me as well is 
to me, if you are concerned about, and yeah, we do read the comments, Jacob, but I, but sometimes I, we can't always reference the comments, but we do read the comments. We, we, we're reading everything. I promise you. Um, the, 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 the interesting thing to me though, is whenever you're accusing the other side of calling for violence against your side, it helps if you have examples of real violence, you know, like I remember even during uh, our regular elections, you know, everybody's telling me about all these crazy Trump supporters who are running around trying to kill black people. They they literally were trying to scare us into voting, saying, oh, my God, these people are going to hurt you. These people are going to hurt you. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know, know anybody <laughs> who was killed by a Trump supporter. I just don't, you know, and, uh, and, and it, it was so bad that Jesse Smollett had to go out and make up a whole damn story of that that fit some sort of fantasy uh, that of, of 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 Trump supporters hating him because he's black, and I thought that was incredibly disingenuous. And in lo- in the long term, it makes you look like a damn sucker. Like it kind of says to me, like play with the cards that you actually have and stop overplaying your hand. So I think on the other side, when you're sort of screaming that everything that disagrees with you is anti-Semitic, that everybody's calling for violence against you. And, and but there's yet there's no violence against you. Like nobody's seeing it. Like don't get me wrong. Now what what Hamas did, of course, yeah, what that group did, not cool. You know, didn't didn't understand it, didn't like it. It was a problem. That was thousands of miles away from here. None of that happened in Harvard Square. None of that happened, you know, in in in, in Chicago or wherever. And so so to kind of sort of make it into this big national thing. When I hear the media and they're like, there's this this rise in anti blah 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 blah. I'm like, where is it? I don't see this, you know. And so I personally think that it's 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 gonna hurt them long term because people see what you're doing. Here's what you're doing. I'm a finance PhD. I know exactly what you're doing. What you're doing is you're engaged in in the seemingly sometimes brilliant um, course of action where you you have accumulated tremendous amounts of economic power, and you're using your economic power to create narratives and create false realities that other people have to follow. See, this is where Hollywood comes from. Hollywood uh, is run by certain groups of people who say, we're going to spend billions of dollars making movies to push an agenda on society that they may or may not receive. Um, when, when I read the newspaper and I see that everything's blatantly biased and doesn't make sense, you can really tell. If you go and you look at some of these major news outlets, whenever they report and they say that the, the headline will be, you know, everybody's anti blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to say those words too much because I'm not trying to get caught in the algorithm mm-hmm. on this. Um, people in the comments, you'll see hundreds of comments from people that'll say that's BS. You know, mm-hmm. what, what about the thousands of people that are being killed on the other side? You're not talking about that. So so I it's almost like a come to Jesus moment. Because and I'll say this, then I'd like I'd like to get your thoughts on this, babe. But I remember in 2006, I went um, to Europe and I did a, uh, a a stint with the Center for European Economic Research in Mannheim, Germany. I was in Germany the whole summer, and I was watching CNN every day. And that whole summer, there was a horrible, horrible war, uh, just like this one that happened right in the Middle East. These, these wars happen every few years; they just spur up, and it gets it's really ugly. Because here's what happened. The uh, Palestinian side, I think they they kidnapped a couple of Israeli soldiers, maybe like two or three of them. So in response, the Israelis came in and literally killed thousands of people, thousands of Palestinians. And and I didn't know anything about this conflict at the time. I was just learning about it. And I'm sitting there watching this on the news. And it's just every day, hundreds more people getting killed. And I'm like, what are they doing to these poor people? Like, this is terrible. This is entirely disproportionate in the response. It doesn't make any sense to me. And so so I, so I, I'm seeing this war every day. It's like dominating the news, right? So pay attention now. I come back to the United States 
And I'm assuming the whole world was seeing the same thing I saw when I was over in Europe. I talked to my American friends and I'm like, yeah, did you see that terrible war that was going on in the Middle East? It was crazy. They had no idea that this even happened. The, the American media had not even, they had barely reported on it. Like they, it was like, like, oh yeah, there's this little thing happening in the Middle East. It's no big deal. And so, so this showed me that there's a big difference or historically there's been a very big difference between the media that gets reported around the world and what we see as Americans. And I think long-term, that's going to be to our detriment. I think one day we're going to pay a big price for things that are being done in our name around the world that we're funding with our tax dollars and we don't know nothing about it. Yeah, it makes sense because everybody looks to what's going on in the West. Like it's almost like we're the the popular kids on campus and everybody wants to know what we're doing, but we could care less what the unpopular people are doing. I mean, in a nutshell, that's kind of how we see things. So we only care about things that that affect us directly. And historically, we just have never had knock on wood. We've never had a you know, we've never been a war torn country. We just don't have that in our history recently, you know, so we can't empathize with that part of the news. And I know at some point, maybe news media tried to, you know, talk about what was happening worldwide. And we just kind of got bored and turned the TV off. So I'm certain they have to be driven by what the consumer wants. And we don't want to hear about what's happening in some remote place somewhere. They don't even teach geography in school. So we don't even know where it is on the map. Half of these places, can anybody really point to the Gaza Strip? on the map probably most people can't do that you know so i think that's part of the issue too but i just think that you know i, I find such issue with being concerned about one group violence against one group of people like it seems like if you were really altruistic you shouldn't want anybody on any college campus to be violated you know no matter who and what they are you shouldn't want anybody in any community to be um, violated in any way. So it just really bothers me when a group of people is only interested in this group of people and the violence against them, not even taking into consideration all of the violence that's happening to all other groups, you know, not mm. to name any of the groups. But it just seems to me, I just kind of look at those people like, really, you're that greedy and relentless. You only care about your own people. You don't care about you know, I don't I, I would hate to hear or to see anything about any racial group being treated horribly. You know what I mean? There's a, a part of me that's compassionate about sentient beings and all human beings in a sense where I don't want to hear about any of that. You know, and I think injustice anywhere is injustice in my community. So I really don't I really don't like. Um, yeah, I really don't like that sort of singling out one group as you know, they don't deserve to have violence against them. Well, nobody should, nobody, people should be able to go to college and have a good education and not have to be afraid of being attacked in mm -hmm. that particular group. Yeah, well, well. by the way, everybody, you're watching Pillow Talk with Dr. Boyce and Dr. Alicia Watkins. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. This is my wife, Dr. Alicia Watkins. And uh, we do Pillow Talk to have intelligent conversations about things that, are of interest to our community. And uh, and so if you'd like to learn more about 
what Dr. Alicia does. Uh, she's a licensed therapist and a full professor of social work. She sees clients on an individual and collective basis. You can go to coachingwithdralicia.com. That's coachingwithdralicia.com. Uh, I'm the author of the book, uh, Financial Lovemaking, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, uh, etc. So if you'd like to see more of my books, uh, I've also created uh, tools, various tools for our people to become the most economically intelligent group of people on the earth. That's what I believe we are going to become. Uh, so if you'd like to get some of these tools that can work with your family, uh, then feel free to go to drboycebooks.com and kind of look around. Uh, use the code word book club to get 30% off anything in uh, the bookstore. And uh, we are building a black institution over here. We're getting it done. All right. So let, let's um, let's let's go deeper into this whole thing. So we're talking about Claudine Gay, uh, the, the, the president of Harvard and her resignation, which uh, I think you and I both agree that that was a bunch of BS. Wait, we, we know we see the writing on the wall. And uh, and what is uh, interesting also about Professor Gay is that uh, that this kind of fits a theme at Harvard. Harvard does not treat black scholars very well. Uh, you know, and, and, and sure, you have the situation with Professor Gay and uh, Bill Ackerman, the billionaire donor who's kind of leading this charge to pretty much attack uh, certain university presidents that happen to be women uh, over whether or not they agree with Israeli policies on, you know, whatever they they're deciding to do in the, in the, with the Palestinians. But here you also have at Harvard this sort of interesting pattern of black faculty being treated absolutely horribly there. Uh, there's a brother. I've, I've talked to you about this brother, Roland Fryer. Roland Fryer, who is an absolutely brilliant economist, a lot of y'all don't know his name, but I do. I respect him because uh, Roland actually won uh, this medal called the John Bates Clark Medal, which is basically the Nobel Prize for economists under 40. I mean, he's a bad boy, and I, I have so much respect for him. I remember being in grad school, and, and at one time in my life, that was my goal. I, I said, you know, I want to win the John Bates Clark Medal. And then I said, no, I think I'd rather be a millionaire or something. So I went and did something else. But but I respect him, right? So so y'all don't know this, but everybody should know about uh, Professor Fryer. He, uh, he ran this lab. So he's this superstar, right? On his way to win the Nobel Prize. He's got tenure at Harvard. He's kicking ass, taking names. God bless him. And then suddenly he gets hit with dun, 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 allegations. Allegations uh, you know, that, that he created a hostile work environment. Uh, some things involving uh, sexual harassment. Uh, nothing involving assault or anything from what I understand. But harassment and, and creating a hostile work environment or whatever, right? Uh, very ambiguous, right? I tried to look for specific details. I couldn't find any details. But let me tell you what Harvard did to this brother. It was crazy. They uh, suspended him for two years, basically put him in professor jail for two years and said, you're suspended without pay for two years. You can't go back to campus like you're some sort of predator. And then also what they did was they took away his lab. He has this multi-million dollar lab. So the lab is gone. And now he's uh, filed a lawsuit against the university. From what I understand, I don't know the status of this lawsuit. If anybody knows, uh, feel free to email. Email manager at voicewalkins.com if you have any updates. Or if Professor Fryer or his friends hear of any of this, uh, the email is manager at voicewalkins.com. I'd be more than happy to uh, give an update on that. And let me tell you about another case. Um, there was uh, Professor Ronald Sullivan and his wife, Stephanie Robinson. And now Ronald and Stephanie, that's personal to me and Alicia because Ronald's out of Gary. Shout out to Gary, Indiana. My, I have a, a beautiful wife uh, who's brilliant, who also happens to be from Gary. And, uh, and Professor Sullivan and his wife, from what I understand, if I'm not mistaken, were the first black deans mm -hmm. of a house at Harvard. They have these houses. I guess it's like a Harry Potter 
uh, episode <laughs> or something. Like they, they have these houses, right? So they were deans of these houses. So Ronald was selected because he's such a damn good lawyer. He was selected uh, to be on the defense uh, team of Harvey Weinstein. Well, the Me Too movement didn't like that. Y'all know the, the historic relationship between straight black men and white women. So they just harassed the hell out of this man. They harassed him. They bullied him and his family. They pressured the university to remove him. And that's what they did. They removed him. And, and where I would have a bone to pick with Gay, Claudine Gay, it's interesting that she's in the fire right now. Because from what I understand, from what I read, again, I'm just speculating based on public right. available information, she kind of supported their removal. She didn't stand up for these other black people that were being persecuted. Her and her white husband didn't stand up for them. So it's interesting to me. Here's what this says to me, babe, and I'm going to stop talking here, is it says a couple things. Number one, Harvard is racist as hell. So are a lot of universities, right? A lot of universities have this issue. Number two, it speaks to this idea of how sometimes we'll have black folks that will try to fit in and they won't stand by other black people. They'll watch other black people get burned at the stake and then after they finish burning their black ass, they're going to come right after you. That was exactly what my experience was at Syracuse. I told you about that lady who wouldn't even talk to me because she thought I was too radical. And I, maybe I am. I am a radical person. If I see racism, I call it out. I've never had, I've never been afraid to do that. I was doing that in the 90s, y'all. I never I, that's who I am. You know, unfairness. I'll say something. Right. So so there was a black woman that I worked with. I kid you not. And I forgive her because she didn't know what she was doing. But she literally told me that she wanted to stay away from me because she didn't want that to mess up, you know, her good schmoozing with the white folks. Right. And I said, OK, well, keep your schmoozing ass over there. I don't need to talk to you. That's cool. I, I can ride solo. I can, I got this. I'm not scared. Well, guess what? When they came to fry her black ass, I mean, they 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 treated her. They did her dirty. They did her so dirty. Guess who she came to for help? Guess who was her only backup? When they tried to to, to tear her down, and uh, and it was so bad when she got tenure, nobody in her department congratulated her. Like you know how it is when you get tenure, everybody's like, "Way to go, woo! That's a big deal. That's a landmark achievement." They didn't even congratulate her. I was one of the few people who said congratulations, and it took everything I had to forgive her. But I really wanted to say, see, this is what happened when we happens when we don't stick together. It's divide and conquer. They'll take they'll take me down first, then they'll come after you. Because they don't love none of us. So that's me being radical. I want you to lay out a more a more balanced, nuanced perspective on this. But this makes me mad as hell. This yeah. Racism it, is, is, it's horrible. You know, don't talk to me right now, boys, because you know I'm in the middle of my five-year review and I'm all triggered. <laughs> <laughs> so don't talk to me right now. I'm like super triggered, um, you know, head deep into a lot of... Um, the document that I need to write to just talk about my progress at my university. So um, anyway, I just think that like, this is a survival mechanism. You know, sometimes black people cannot openly support each other because they're afraid of the, of the retaliation that they may receive. I mean, look at what's going on now with um, uh, the lady from the color purple. Uh, what's her name? Oh God, you're better with the name. Tar tar Taraji. 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 Yeah. Taraji Hinton. What's going on with Taraji right now? Where she's outspoken about what her experience is like in these systems. Because by the way, Hollywood is a system. The university is a system. So systems that we're involved in is all it is is a microcosm of the macrocosm of of the dominant society. And we live in a racist society. So how can how cannot Hollywood 
just be a reflection of our dominant society? How can, it's, it's impossible for academia not to be a reflection of the dominant society. So that's what it is. Academia, Hollywood, it's just a microsystem of a macro system that's based on racism and white supremacy. Let's just name it for what it is. So, you know, and it's interesting because Monique is now talking and she's like, dude, where was my support from these people when I was talking about the things that were happening to me that I felt was racist? Everybody tried to blackball me and didn't say anything at the time, didn't support me at the time. And so more and more people need to speak up against this system, right? Honestly, I think that ideally we just need to just have a non-participation. Just think, boys, boys, imagine Imagine, if you will, the NFL. What would the NFL be if all Black people just decided not to participate? What would the NBA be if all Black people would just decide, I'm not going to participate? What would Hollywood be if all Black people just got together and said, non-participation? We're just going to just create our own stuff. Can you imagine how the entire system would collapse? We do not understand our power in these systems. You know, how devastating it would be for the whole system if we just said, you know what, it's racist and I don't want to participate in this racism anymore. Yes, I'm just going to have to take a hit financially. Hello, Mr. Mr. Finance Professor. <laughs> you know, take a hit financially and just say, you know what, I'm not going to participate anymore. We're going to build our own. Just mm. imagine, imagine if Dr. Gay tomorrow morning sends you an email and she says, Dr. Boyce Watkins, sign me up. I want to be your faculty member. I want to work with Dr. Alicia and I want to work with you. Harvard, I'm tired of Harvard. I'm bitter. If she were to do that, I would do the same. So I feel good. Like, come on. Like, what would the world be? If we just stopped exploiting ourselves, we're exploiting, letting ourselves be exploited by these systems that don't love us, mm, that are going to mistreat us. That's all they know how to do. They don't know anything. Our entire history on the face of this ground, United, these here, United States of America is based on exploitation of our labor. And that has not stopped. That's how it's been. And that's how it's always going to be until we decide we are not going to participate anymore. Well, you know, I think that that's a, a imagine that voice. Imagine. I, it. I, I, well, you know, I imagine it every day. I mean, you know, this morning when we were doing our financial consciousness training, uh, I was explaining to everybody, you know, sort of what, what our dilemma is, why we continuously run into this wall of racism and why it always surprises us. I said, it, it, you know, building an institution is like raising a child. And if you raise a child, then that is your child. You get to decide, you know, what the value systems are going to be. You have the greatest influence over the child. You get to tell the child what to do for a very long time. You have the greatest, if you use that influence, you, you have a tremendous amount of impact on what happens to the child. You have legal rights to that child. Right. Um, but what you don't have is, is, the, the ability of the babysitter to come in and act as if they have the same power as the parent and black people, economically speaking, we're not trained to be economic parents. We're trained to be economic babysitters. 
we're trained to uh, to not create businesses from the ground up, not to give birth to institutions that are going to honor us and be in our image and follow our value systems. We're trained to babysit the institutions of other people. So the greatest accomplishment of Claudine Gay, God bless her for this. I have nothing against this woman, but her greatest achievement is that she was an economic, she was the, the ultimate, she was the head babysitter of Harvard University. And but Harvard University, that that is not an institution that's rooted in the tradition and the history of our community. That's not an institution that's ever going to be in a position to do anything for the masses of black people. That's not an institution that will play any significant role in the elevation of the condition of black people in this country. But it has played a role in the elevation of the condition of the Jewish community. Right. Well, why? Well, because they control the resources. They have so much wealth locked into that institution. That's their baby. They, they, that's their, their hundred billion dollar baby. And ain't nobody, ain't no babysitter ever going to be able to come in and overrule the parent. So it, it, think about this. If you are a mother and the babysitter's like, you know, you, you're like, I don't want my baby to eat meat. And the babysitter's like, I, I fed your baby a hot dog today. It's going to be a problem. It's going to be like, it, it don't matter. She can explain all day about how the baby needs meat and it's not good for the baby to be a vegan. Whatever she believes doesn't matter what you believe. This ain't your child. You have no rights up in here. And, and we become delusional. We really think that that this illusion of power is the same as having real power. And it's just not the same. And, and a lot of it is because we get relegated to the role of babysitter because in our culture, we don't have, uh, I don't think we, push as hard to promote the idea of, of of having enough discipline and delayed gratification to do the hard work and the deep digging required to actually give birth to and raise something of your own, right? Like, so for example, you and I are sitting here, you know, I'm digging in the trenches, running this thing called the Black Business School. I take this institution as seriously as I've taken any institution I've ever been part of. I've taught at Syracuse University, Indiana University, Ohio State University. God bless all those schools. I'm even a fan of Ohio State football. But at the end of the day, I feel sorry for you this year. Though. I know, right? It was they got they got screwed. But at the end of the day, here's the thing. Um, this is my baby up in here. Like I'm I'm ready to die for this baby. This baby, I got this baby in my will. Right. Literally, I was going through my trust in my estate plan and there's a percentage of my assets that will go to making sure that the baby is good. And within this institution, I have a significant ability to shape the values of that institution. Right. I'm not going to go across the street to your university or to University of Chicago and expect to have the same amount of influence. Why should I? That's not that's not my school. And if you look at the history of any institution, you look at Harvard. The history of Harvard. Uh, Harvard used to be raggedy, too. Harvard used to be an upstart. There was a time where, I, if I'm not mistaken, remember you and I went to visit D1 at Harvard. Har you know, D1, that's my buddy. I was on the phone with him yesterday for an hour and a half. I love this guy. And we, we, you and I went to Harvard to visit D1. And we were walking around the campus looking at all the little statues and we saw, you know, and, and, and all the stuff that showed the sort of tradition of Harvard. I'm, I'm looking it up on Wikipedia to try to just read the history. And, and, and from what I understand, there was so much legwork uh, put into really building this institution and having faith in it when, when very few people did. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, John Harvard did not actually create Harvard university, John Harvard, they, they, he literally, he gave them like a building and some books and they said, thank you so much for this building and books. We, we appreciate it so much. We're going to name the whole school after you. 
So this guy made one little tiny donation and they named the whole school after him because they were so desperate for, for resources. So so every institution starts off where, you know, where you don't have this big, beautiful thing. You have this ugly little baby and you got to love that baby, even if you think the baby might not survive, because that's the only way the baby will have a chance to live. So for black people, we need to have more babies. We need to have more economic babies and stop training our children to be glorified babysitters. You know, I don't care if you are sitting there as the, the Negro figurehead of some big institution that ain't doing nothing for your community except creating a couple of jobs. There is nothing in Harvard's history, and I, we can say this clear, there's evidence to prove this. There's nothing in Harvard's history to show that they have any significant commitment to the black community. Most of the black professors at Harvard get treated like shit. They do. They go through hell. Look, look at Ronald Sullivan and his wife, what they went through. Uh, look at look at what Claudine Gay is going through. Look at what uh, Roland Fryer is going through. They, but but why do we put it? Why do we tolerate it? Well, we put up with it because we don't have much institutional self-esteem. We don't take pride in being connected to our institutions. We only take pride in being connected to theirs. So we say, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting abused and I'm being mistreated. But but at least I, I'm teaching at Harvard and I get that. But I think maybe a reassessment or recalibration of your self-esteem would lead you to say, do I really want to be in a place where I am disrespected on a daily basis? Like, like what has to be wrong with me? What, 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 what malfunction in my programming had to occur to make me think it's okay for me to be in a space where I'm going to get slapped around, crapped on and abused at every other turn. I'm not doing so. So remember you and I were talking, we were joking and you said, you said, boys, if Harvard offered us a job, would you want to take it? And what did I say? I said, hell no. I said, why in the world would I want to want to come work here when I'm doing the most important work I could be doing in the I have impacted. Do you understand from this seat how many millions of black people I have impacted? Some of y'all listening in here can, will tell me that you, you bought businesses because of things that we've done with you. You have invested for the first time. We've helped over 10 million black people buy stock for the first time. We have stock market participation rates in the black business school that are at the level of millionaires. This is where I need to be. This is my baby. This ain't, I, I'm not going to be a, why would I go be a babysitter when I'm a parent of some beautiful children? That's how I look at things. I'm going to stop talking because you know me, I get pumped up, but, but I, and no disrespect to Harvard or anybody there, but I'm going to just tell you, I think we need to, as black people really ask ourselves, why do we tolerate that abuse when we're, we're the prize? We're the ones that, that are building wealth for other people. We're the ones who are building everyone else's economic power. We're building the NFL. We're building the NBA. We're building these institutions. So why not do that for ourselves as readily as we do that for other people? Alicia? Man, you need to stop, boys, because, you know, I'm in the thick of it right now. I'm preparing for spring semester, and it is tough. I'm telling you, it is emotional. It is a really emotional process every time I have to just participate in things. So it's just a tough situation. But one thing I want to say is that, like, what's the life of Dr. Gale from here on? I think everybody should be um, empathetic to what Black faculty experience. Like, for the Sullivan couple, and for Dr. Gay, here you have made it. You're dean of a department, of a college, dean of a college. You're president of a university. That is what all college professors aim for because that's where the money and the influence and all of the wonderful accolades and money come from. 
And to just have that wiped away from you so quickly without your input, like I bet nobody told her, you know, no one sat down with her and said, tell us, Dr. Gay, how you really feel. And no one actually sat there and listened to her. And right now she probably has to go and talk to her department head and figure out what courses she has to teach spring semester. She's been kind of in the back in the classroom. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it is like a demotion. And she has to kind of like swallow her pride. And she's now in the midst of prep. She's got to do a class prep. <laughs> she's got to slap a snake, a fake smile on her face so that she can face students. And God knows what's going to happen in that classroom as backlash right? She's got to sit in the classroom. Dr. Sullivan and Dr. Sullivan's wife, first of all, it was the allegations against him. And then not only did they demote him from being dean, but they also demoted her too, as if she was like a criminal just by being married to somebody. <laughs> like, I don't get how they figure that happens. Just because you share DNA, I guess they figure you're just one person, one unit. So both of them lost their prestigious position at a university and they're back in the classroom not that teaching students is terrible but you know they don't have as large of an impact on a macro level impact they're in the classroom they're prepping they're getting their syllabus together they're conjuring up these old lectures that they have to now teach and you kind of have to and people have they don't care there's no qualms about it it's not like people are pretending to like you. They just letting you know that they don't like you. And mm -hmm. if you want to stay here at this wonderful institution of Harvard and be able to be a Harvard professor, you're going to have to just grin and bear it. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's the devastating part of these systems because where are they to go? You know, well, you know a university Dr. who can give them the oh, money. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, Dr. Claude Anderson in Poweronomics, <laughs> he, he would say that they don't respect you. They don't respect, no. you know, and, and if you look at guys like Bill Ack Bill Ackman, who is the billionaire donor who's kind of behind everything that's happening with Claudine Gay and others, you know, he's he's a tough guy. He's a guy that understands economic power. He's a guy that doesn't give a shit what you think about him. Uh, he's a guy that comes in and he, he is he a bully? Absolutely. Uh, he understands that money, money is power. And, and what I really want, you know, so he probably understands poweronomics better than uh, almost anybody that he's dealing with uh, right now. And and I, I, I encourage black folks to sort of look at these these public lynchings as a lesson. You know, it's a lesson. It's a lesson and it's a call to arms for us in terms of preparing for the future. Like, like I really want, you know, if you go to blackwealthmasterplan.com, I'm not just a complainer. I'm a planner. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a soldier at heart. My daddy was in Vietnam and Shout out to all the veterans out here that that, that follow the platform because I, I respect you. Um, and uh, and so Black Wealth Master Plan is literally a plan where our children can literally be uh, in a position of economic strength and power that allows them to be able to withstand this kind of bullying, this kind of abuse. You know, uh, I can tell you this. Uh, people who own their own institutions don't have to beg for nothing. They don't have to sit around and be mistreated and disrespected. And, uh, and you know, and, and Alicia, I'm going to apologize to you also because I did talk a lot. You know, I get fired up and I, I, I can I can ramble. So I'm going to be quiet again because I want I want to hear more of your perspective on this. But, 
um, I would say to uh, to all of our people, what you got to understand is that when you have when you have a place to go, you you don't tolerate disrespect as when you have no as much as you would when you have nowhere to go. When you have nowhere to go, then, you you know, you'll be slapped around. Like I, I kind of think about Professor Gay and I read her bio. And let me just tell you, this this lady is heavily accomplished in her field. She's really good. I can't remember if she studied economics like I did. I think she might have. I got to double check that. But she's good. I mean, you know, to, to become president of Harvard, you got to be damn good at what you do. And here this lady has been shamed. She's made she's been made to look like a quack. She's been made to look like a fake scholar. And I'm going to tell you, that's BS. That ain't right. You know, nobody nobody works hard as hard as she has, you know, straight A's all the way through school, went to top universities and all that to be made to look like a common dumb Negro, you know, an incompetent Negro. Like that's kind of what they reduced her to. And, and I think that that's patently unfair. But then again, though, at the same time, when you're trying to put, play a competitive battle on somebody else's turf, that's what they'll do to you. You know, and I don't understand why someone like her would be afraid to align herself with black institutions where we would honor her, you know, where, where she could be forgiven for any mistakes she might have made. And people can sort of outweigh, you know, look at the good and outweigh that with the bad. It's almost like how you and I were on the phone uh, talking. You know, we, we talked to Bill Cosby that night and uh, and we talked to him and, and our, our moms were excited, you know, to, 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 to hear from him. And even with all the allegations, even with everything. Right. And it's not to say that they that everybody on the phone believed that Cosby was innocent. It was to say that everybody sort of had a balanced and a nuanced perspective of Cosby to say, OK, maybe this guy did make some mistakes. Maybe there are some things that we're concerned about, but we're not going to forget about all the great things he accomplished. We're not going to forget about Fat Albert and what he did for children. We're not going to forget about the Cosby show and how he changed the culture. We're not going to forget about the 20 million dollars he gave to Spellman. We're not going to forget about the way he shifted the culture for HBCUs by creating a different world when he didn't have to. We're going to make sure that as we remember all the bad things you did, we're going to remember the good things you did too. And that's the fairness. That's what fairness looks like, everybody. And, and fairness is something that you only tend to get around people who care about you and understand you. She's not being treated fairly. Uh, what do you think, Alicia? I mean, I think she did everything right. I mean, she played the game as it was laid out to her. She probably did it with um, long nights, you know, working really hard, writing those papers and being competent in her job. I'm almost certain she did the best that she could. She did everything right. And she still was reduced down to a stereotype, mm. an incompetent black woman who is scary and doesn't deserve to be in the position that she's in. She's now gone down in history. You know, she's in history books now, the shortest Ooh. tenure of a university Ooh. president. Ooh. The whole history of the university. They made sure she, she was the, that's historical. Damn. With her face on it, I don't know how she can conjure up the strength to return spring semester. That that's that's a big question, right? It's kind of like why why go back? Like, no, I don't she's know not. What think. Like why why go? Back? Like there's so many places you could probably go. I assume, right? Somebody wants you other than Harvard. Like why why? Why do you have to be there? Like, I think that's that's another question I think we have to ask ourselves as black people. Like, it's like you ain't got nowhere to go. You have nowhere that you can be where people are going to really love you and appreciate you. You have to be in spaces where you're going to be harassed. 
And 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 Claudine, I, I mean, she paid. She, she got every ticket. She even got the white husband. Usually, the white, white husband that'll that'll give you some brownie points, right? She's you know her. Uh, what's the late Katanji Brown Jackson, who also went to Harvard? She has the white husband. Uh, 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 what, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Kamala Harris has the white husband. Yeah, she did everything right. <laughs> she did, <laughs> she she did everything the right. They still, they still hung that lady up. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, oh, look at her. <laughs> we knew. Remember we did a pillow talk back a long time ago, and we kind of knew. We kind of felt sorry for her. We kind of were like predicting. You know, I don't think we predicted that she would be, her tenure would be so short. But we predicted, wow, she played a good game. We see, let's see how that works for her. And now we can see how that works for her. She did everything right. I bet when she, I bet I haven't seen her congressional testimony, but I'm almost certain she was very well prepared. I'm certain mm -hmm. she um, met with all her lawyer friends and had all the jargon correct, but she didn't have everything else correct. She should have had a stronger stance against anti um, somatic. Um, messages and that was someone didn't pull her coattail and tell her this is what you need to say and so maybe she decided she wasn't going to play the game and this is what happens when you don't play the game well i'll tell you what um i don't have anything against her um i i and i certainly wouldn't wish ill will on anybody i think there's consequences to everything and i think uh the the financial lesson to understand here is that this was all driven by money mm -hmm. this is all about the money uh, the reason Bill Ackerman and his friend Ackman, sorry, Ackman and his friends could come in there and push around, uh, you know, the, the the folks at Harvard and MIT and Penn is because they 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 position themselves financially to have that kind of power and influence. Uh, if you don't think money and power will money and power will kind of dominate all these idealistic values that we have about free speech and, you know, academic freedom and all this other nonsense. No, no, no. If, if you don't have money it's very, very hard to have free speech in this country if you don't have the financial resources to back it up. So um, so I want everybody to just take note on this and sort of watch how the game is played. Uh, power doesn't care about right and wrong. Uh, it is, as as the, uh, that community is kind of showing you, uh, they have a tremendous amount of economic power, and I'm not even mad at them for using their power in a way that benefits their agenda. I just want you to make sure that you do the same thing. And here's the thing, too. You don't have to be a billionaire to do that. You know, you know, if you're just a person or a family that is financially secure and you can pay your own bills, then you have a lot more of a defense system in place that allows you to have the liberties that you feel you deserve. You know, so if I, um, you know, like, for example, you, you might have heard me say things that are controversial on the platform or whatever. Um, my level of financial security is what allows me to do that. You know, I uh, when when I had the controversy over. The fact that I didn't like the, the the fact that Lizzo's record label was using her using this black woman to promote obesity to the black community. When obesity is the number one killer of black people, you're promoting the death of black people. Like to me, that's what I'm seeing. And I said that openly. I didn't apologize. I didn't stutter. I didn't take my words back. The media bashed me. Everybody talked crazy about me. I had the speaking engagement canceled with the AG Gaston Society in Birmingham. I didn't care. You know why? Well, because I'm I'm good financially. I have I have all I need. Right now, if I was a guy who was desperate, who was begging for a job, who was living paycheck to paycheck, then you probably either would not, never have heard me say that or you would have heard me apologize very, very quickly to try to clean things up. And so uh, I personally think that unapologetic black people have far more power than any politician, uh, than any of these uh, fake leaders that are running these big white institutions. 
Um, I think unapologetic black people who can pay their own bills and do what they need to do, say what they need to say, be who they need to be. You're going to have more impact than almost anybody who's sort of presented as this paper tiger at the top as a figurehead of some institution that they don't even really run. Right. They, you know, if you're, if you're, you're, you're given this artificial power, they could take it away from you just like that. You're not a real power base. You're not a power source. Uh, you are, you have proximity to power. You are a power conduit. Somebody else that really is the power base is pushing power through you. And when you get out of line, mm -hmm. then they're going to remove you. And this is what you're seeing with Claudine Gay. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, I'll let you get the last word, babe, before yeah. we bounce out. I mean, clearly her purpose in being president was to forward their own agenda. And as soon as you're off script, this is what happens. It's a public display of what happens when you don't follow through with their agenda, because I'm certain there were a lot of people in that group <laughs> who supported her thinking, okay, we're going to throw our support behind this lady. And then when things happen, we want her to ante up. She needed to ante up to the groups who put her in power. I'm certain those groups put her in power. Those were her constituents. I mean, we learned that with Barack Obama's presidency, like he was, he was president of the people who put him in power. You know, he furthered their agenda. He did a marvelous job of that. And another thing I wanted to say is that we no longer need to say that university campuses are liberal. Mm. We need to stop saying that because there's a lot of um, conservative sort of ideology that's being pushed. And I, I don't like that. I kind of feel like we should get into what's true. <laughs> we should get into the facts. You can't make up your facts. You can twist your facts. You can twist the facts um, into whatever you think you want it to be. But I think that universities should be a place where knowledge is generated. And that's what helps to keep our country strong, honestly. And I think that if we start um, tearing away from and making research studies and research political, then we start tearing away from knowledge. Mm. So, well, I, I, I do think campuses are liberal, but then again, though, we could debate that another time. So, yeah, I mean, um, well, we can say that because this particular gentleman that you're pointing to, he's a very conservative person who's like, no, you either believe what I believe or you're out of here. And I don't think that that's adhering to knowledge, right? You mm -hmm. can't make your own facts. You could definitely, you know, it's political. Well, well I think in this particular case, yeah. it, you can't make up your own facts. And I think that's an issue. Well, I, I definitely agree in this particular case, you know, mm -hmm. the conservatism wins because conservatives tend to have the money, um, you know, but, but I think overall, you know, really? been, <laughs> well, remember Ronald yeah, Sullivan got removed because when Ronald Sullivan got removed, it was due to a liberal agenda. It wasn't conservative. It was the me too movement. Oh, that removed Ronald Sullivan. oh my God. Uh, it, it, Roland, Roland Fryer, yeah. the, the black scholar at Harvard, when he got removed, that was also part of the whole me too mm -hmm. conversation, you know? So, um, you know, or and even if you look at what happened with the Michigan state head coach who had the $90 million contract, uh, mm -hmm. y'all should look him up. Mel Tucker, Mel Tucker had a $90 million contract and he was accused by, a woman of doing something over the phone, literally no assault, no nothing. Just he, he said something inappropriate over the phone and uh, they, they fired him from his job and took away his $90 million contract. And I think that's going to lead to a massive lawsuit because there's a lot of evidence to say that she may not have been truthful in her allegation. Um, but even then it's like, the question becomes, is it really worth $90 million? And so, you know, I, I kind of think, um, you know, it, it, it can be sometimes conservative, but at the same time, 
the big lesson in, in this particular case is that money is, is a big driver in a lot of decision making in most institutions. So uh, so build your wealth as a source of protection and also as a source of true empowerment, because it's hard to have power in America without money. And Ackman is an example of that. So um, so so we're going to head on out, guys. Uh, Dr. Alicia's website is coaching with Dr. You can go check out what she does. Uh, she sees clients on an individual basis, a collective basis, stuff like that. Uh, and also for me, my website's voicewatkins.com. And I also send out uh, profit alerts uh, with stocks that I like, stuff like that, to help you guys build wealth. Uh, you can get a copy of our $5 a day investing plan in the Black Business School, where we've helped millions of people buy their first share of stock. That's what I do. That's my expertise. So if you'd like to get all that sent to you, uh, just text the word stock to 89748. Text stock to the word stock to 89748. And we will send you these things for free and get you started on the pathway to investing. So for those of you that also are doing our financial consciousness training every day, I'll see you in the morning uh, at 10 a.m. We're doing 30 straight days. If you'd like to join us, just go to drboyceelevate.com and uh, you can join us in the morning. So thank you, baby. I appreciate your time. Thanks for hanging out with me. All right. Bye bye. <laughs>